are going to be, as I said, in Psalm 100 this morning. So um, I know that Thanksgiving was, you know, a couple days ago, and for many of us, we're at this point where, like, we're, like, trying weird things with our leftovers, right? We just got to, like, finish that off. And so we're trying to, like, okay, what can I do now? And it's like, mmm, homemade pizza with cranberry sauce. Like, let's just, whatever we got to do to get the leftovers done, I understand we're at that point. And so, and I also know that for some of you, like, as soon as Thanksgiving is over, as soon as that last piece of pumpkin pie is eaten, it is Christmas season. Like, we are full go into Christmas season. In my house growing up, Thanksgiving's, the whole day soundtrack was Mariah Carey talking about how all she wants for Christmas is you. Um, and so, for all of that, I, I get that for most people, this idea of Thanksgiving is, like, the holiday is done, right? And it's done, we'll, we'll think about Thanksgiving and, and turkeys next year. But the spirit of it, And the theme and the focus of the day, this idea of thankfulness and gratitude, should extend right on into the Christmas season and beyond, especially for the followers of Christ. And so I think we can focus on the thanks part of Thanksgiving even beyond Thanksgiving Day, even beyond Turkey Day. I think we can cling to that a little bit longer because thankfulness and acknowledgement and understanding and appreciation for who God is and what he has done and continues to do and how he continues to work in and through us should be at the core of Christians. It should be an internal part to who we are and what we do. I, I say often, I've, I've talked about it often this year, and ask, what is your why? Why do you do what you do? Why do you believe what you believe? Responding to God with thanksgiving is and should be a answer to the why kind of question. This morning we're going to look at, as I said, Psalm 100. It's a short psalm, but one packed full of praise and full of thanksgiving. In fact, in many of your Bibles, um, it might say, and in the Pew Bible, I think it, it actually says, a psalm for giving thanks. It's a psalm that is dedicated to giving thanks to who God is. And beyond that, even, it speaks to our lives. It speaks to the day-to-day, season-to-season going about living and how we are to do that. It is a psalm that reinforces with us, within us, this correlation between knowing God and worshiping God and how those things are interact and how those things feed one into the other. It teaches us, and this is the big idea for this morning, is that joy-filled worship comes in response to knowing God. Joy-filled worship comes in response to knowing God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. We're going to read through Psalm 100. Um, and, uh, and then we can, uh, yeah, so we'll get to work. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Um, for this in the season of gratitude, this th- season of thankfulness, we come giving thanks. Thank, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the ways you have moved, the ways you have revealed yourself. Thank you for what you have done, what you are doing. Thank you for the things we can't even see or understand the ways that you have been at work in and through our lives and the lives of those around us to get us to this moment right now. We didn't do it on our own. We aren't just really lucky and been able to get by on happenstance and coincidence. No, all of life was orchestrated by you. You are in control of all things at all times, and Lord, we give you thanks for that. Even in those seasons, even in those times of hard and messy and exhausting. We know you are in control and we know that you are doing things that we at times can't see and understand. But because we know you are good, we know that what we are going through is for our good and your glory. 
God, as we open your word this morning, we come wanting to know you and, and thankful that you are knowable. And so, God, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. We're going to be in Psalm 100. I'll read through it one time, and then we will uh, jump in and, and jump around. But today's a good day. Every day is a good day to have your Bible open. Today's a real good day because i got lots of scripture, and we're going to be hopping around all over the place today. Um, Psalm 100, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Joyful worship is in response to knowing God. So he says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Who's Who's he talking to? Who's he writing to? Who's singing here? Who's making this joyful noise? It's God's people. God's chosen people. At the time it's written, it's the Israelites. That collection of people chosen by God, not due to anything that they had to offer other than the grace, mercy, and compassion of God. In fact, as you read through the Bible and you look throughout history over and over, it is these people, the Israelites, these ones who are learning this song, who are singing this song as they, as they gather together, who over and over again rebel against God, forget God, run away from God. And yet, they remain the chosen people of God. For us as Christians, as the adopted sons and daughters of God, we may lose sight. We may feel like we have sinned too big. We've messed up too, one too many times that God doesn't want to hear from us. And yet we are reminded over and over in Scripture, you cannot out the cross. Every sin on him was laid, meaning Jesus paid for every sin, from Adam and Eve biting into that fruit all the way up to and beyond the sin you're going to commit three Tuesdays from now that nobody else is going to see or know about. All sins were paid for by Christ. We are not perfect. We fall short of the glory of God on a regular basis, but that does not negate the call on our lives to worship him. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Make a joyful noise. Now, we usually reread that, and for those of us who can't carry a tune, we cling to this phrase, right? I can't sing worth a lick, but I can make some noise. You give me a tambourine, and there will be some joyful noise in this room. In actuality, though, this phrase isn't just belted out and, and, and scream and shout well, well, without a tune, but it's more like this phrase is when the king arrives. It's when you're gathered together and it's a phrase describing what happens when a crowd of people are celebrating together. It's the roar, it's the excitement, it's the joy-filled shouts that may not even be words, but just guttural sounds of exultation. When the Cubs won the World Series, I was living uh, that night. It, I mean, it, was, it was crazy. And at one point, I, I went out on the porch, and there were people just screaming down Damon, heading down towards Wrigleyville. And it was just noise. It was just chaos and noise, and it wasn't even words, it wasn't even, it was just people didn't know how to respond, they didn't know what to do, and they just had to make noise, and that's what this is, make a joyful noise, it's not even words, it's not even a complete thought, it's just this response within us, that fun, that energy, that fullness, this is what we are to have as God's people in response to him, we are to make a joyful, joy-filled noise to the Lord. 
You see in your Bibles, it says Lord in all caps. It's the, the Bible's way. It's the Old Testament way of telling us the word here is Yahweh. Yahweh is one of the names of God, the personal covenant relational name of God. It's his personal relational name because he is the God of community. He within himself in the Trinity is perfect relational unity eternally. He is the God who wants us to know him. He already knows us. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing, but he wants us to know him. He wants to have a relationship with you. He is not a distant being or spiritual force, but a God who is knowable. The great thing, and the great thing about the knowability of God is that there is always more of him to be known. Because he is massive. Because he is awesome. There is always more to know of him, more to experience of him. He is the God who wants a relationship with us. He is the God who is knowable. And as we know him, that drives us more and more to worship him more and more, which drives us to want to know him more and more. Because joy-filled worship is driven by spiritual truth. It is joy-filled worship. It comes in response to knowing God. As the more we know him, the more we want to worship him. The more we worship him, the more we want to know him. The instructions in this psalm, it says, make a joyful noise. An almost instinctual reaction to awesomeness because God is awesome. And it's not only us who are to respond in this way. It says, but all of the earth, all the earth, all the lands, all the people, all of creation. Paul writes in Romans 1.20, he says, His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Paul is saying the world itself cries out the joy, cries out the revelation of who God is. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. All the earth declares the wonders of his majesty and awesomeness. He continues on in verse 2, and it says, and we are continuing on and we are spurred on in our approach to God as we serve. And it says, come into his presence with singing. One of the ways you could translate the word serve here is actually worship. Those two words are interchangeable in the Hebrew, which makes sense because what is worship? It's giving of yourself to exalt and honor another. So that's what service is, isn't it? To serve God is to worship God. And we are to do this with gladness, not begrudgingly, not out of fear, not out of indented, indentured obligation, but with gladness. Again, Paul in Romans 5, he says, through, through him, Jesus, we, also, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the confident assurance of the glory of God that we get to experience by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Joy-filled worship is the most appropriate, appropriate response to the gospel. This should be the response to what Christ has done for us. Glad worship. And this is to extend far beyond Sundays from 1030 to 1145. It's what Paul is speaking about in Romans 12 when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It is all of our lives. In all of the hats that you wear, the roles that you step into, all of it is to be a form of worship and service to God. Derek Kidner, in his commentary on this Psalm 100, says, in Hebrew as in English, service is indivisible. 
It is a word which leaves no gap or choice between worship and work. There is no secular and spiritual. All of it is all designed to be glorified by us to live into and glorify God. So our joy-filled worship looks like making a joyful noise. It looks like serving with gladness, worshiping with gladness, and we come into his presence with singing. We are to celebrate and enjoy and rejoice in the access, in the reality of who God is. The writer actually repeats himself pretty much in verse 4. Where he says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. If we look at these verses, we look at the first two verses in verse 4. You see this repeated concept over and over. We see words like joyful, gladness, singing, thanksgiving, praise, blessing. This is a call to enjoy, to celebrate, to respond. It is a joyful noise, the Artini. The gladness defines our serving, our worshiping of God, and even entering into the presence of God is to be done with singing. We are to come to him with thanksgiving, with a thankful, grateful, delighted heart of praise. We come giving thanks and blessing, honoring and exalting his name. To come into his presence, to enter into his gates, understands and acknowledges it is his, it is his presence, it is his gates, it is his throne room. He is in control of all things. And it's a call to a formal time of dedicated worship, removing the distractions, lifting our voices in prayer, singing his praise, opening and reading his word, the fellowship with one another, the focused time devoted to the glorification, exaltation, and celebration of God. What we do here on Sundays, it is not a chore or a requirement. It is a gift. It's not a have to. It's an I get to. It's a blessing and opportunity. It is grace that we get to be in this room together week after week. I hope you see that as what it is. I hope you see this place, this time that we have together is special. And I know you've been doing it for long enough. It can feel routine. And if we aren't careful, it can just be another thing we do, another part of our week. Which I think is why the descriptors are in this psalm. The joy, the gladness, the singing, the thanksgiving, these are things that we have to be intentionally mindful of. They aren't just going to naturally flow out of us. We have to choose them, pursue them, and dwell on them. But then the question becomes, why? Why the commands for activity? And more than that, why the focus on the joy-filled part? Why the command? Because this is not just a suggestion. These are, these are declarative statements. I mean, what's the difference if my noise is joyful or it's just noise? What if I serve the Lord and I do it, but you know what? There is a little bit of begrudging in my heart. What about on those days when I do, I come in and I show up, but thankful is not the way I would describe myself? What then? Does it mean we just have to fake it? We all just have to pretend like everything's okay all the time? Is this a case where God is the parent and he says, as many of us have probably said to our kids, just do it because I told you to? Is that what's happening here? What do I do when my joy is low, is lacking? I might have enough for the activity. I might be able to show up. I might be able to put pants on and get there by 1030, 1040, 1045-ish. We'll see. But the joy and the gladness, man, that's just not there. What do we do with that? What do we do on those days, in those seasons? Joy-filled worship 
comes in response to knowing God. Look at verse 3. It says, Know the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And then if you skip down to verse 5, it says, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. Joy-filled worship comes in response to knowing God. Know that the Lord, He is God. Deuteronomy 4, on the screen it will say verse 35, I'm going to start in verse 33, says, Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war? by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God, that there is no other beside him. It's this reminder to the Israelites, do you remember what God has done for you? How he has rescued you and saved you and how he has shown up time and time again. And we could go anywhere in the Bible. We could do the thing where you just open the Bible and let it fall open. And we could read about how God makes the sun stand still or walls come tumbling down or donkeys that talk or men pulling down columns with superhuman strength or meat from heaven or fire consuming soaking wet altars. Over and over we are reminded that he is God. He is above all, before all, everlasting, all-knowing, all-powerful unchanging sustainer of all existence. The Lord, he is God. And it says he made us. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Not only are you made, not only were you made by God, you are made in the image and likeness of God. Regardless of where you stand with Jesus, you have built within you what the scholars call the Imago Dei, the image of God who made you and formed you, and you are a reflection of him to the world. And not only that, he made us and he gives us a role. We are not just another part of creation. We have dominion over the earth. Psalm 139, verse 13 says, For you formed me, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. He made you. He knows you. He made all of you. He made all of you, and he knows all of you. Every cell, every molecule, every breath, every blood cell, every atom. You are not an accident. You are not here at random. You are who you are, living when and where you are, by the perfect, intelligent, intentional design of the God of all existence. He made us, and we are His. Isaiah 43.1, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The price we were bought with was the life of Jesus. He gave his life. He suffered and died so that you and I might have right standing, a new relationship, a right relationship with God. 
a new identity, no longer slaves or captives or prisoners or victims, but we are the sons and daughters of the God of all existence by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are his. We belong to him, to his family. And because we are his, he watches over us. He cares for us. It says he is the shepherd. It says we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He is the shepherd. As we're reminded in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Jesus, in talking about this same idea in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He nourishes us. He protects us. He provides for us. This is what the good shepherd does for us. And note, he's not just a shepherd, but he is a good shepherd because God is good. That's what we see in verse 5. For the Lord is good. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. A safe place, a secure place. When everything is backwards and upside down and dark and scary and messy, there is safety found in the presence of God. Psalm 119.68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. This is who God is. John says, in him is light. There is no darkness at all. He is all good all the time. We never have to worry what kind of mood he's in, what kind of attitude he has toward us. He is good all the time. So the fact that he is in control of all things at all times means it's something we can rest in and trust in because he's also good all the time. So anything that we are going through, anything we are experiencing comes from a good God. Even when it's hard and overwhelming and exhausting, there is plan and purpose to it from the good God. He loves us. And that's what we see in verse 5. His love is steadfast. Steadfast love in Hebrew is one word. It's hesed. It's mercy. It's loving kindness. It's loyal love. Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's not going anywhere. You can't escape it. And why would you want to? You can't outrun it, you can't hide from it, you can't outsin it, and you can't sin so bad that God's going to withhold his love from you. Even when Adam and Eve sinned, when the first one, you figure the first sin's got to be the worst of the worst, right? Because it started everything else. They sin, they eat the fruit, they disobey God's one instruction, and they realize they're naked. And it says in Genesis 3, they realize they're naked, they go hide, and they sow, they, they get fig leaves, and they cover themselves. In Genesis 3.8, it says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. He, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? That verse always sticks out to me because, for one, it says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid themselves, which means they knew what it sounded like to walk with God in the garden. They knew what it sounded like when he was coming. Like when you have kids and you hear them a little pitter-patter running around in the house when everything's quiet and you know one of them's woke up and is doing something. And you just hear it by the sound. They knew. They heard the sound and they said, oh man, God's coming. They had done it before. They had walked with God in his presence. But now because of sin, they were full of shame and guilt. And so they run and they hide. 
The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? At humanity's worst, God came walking. He came searching. He came looking. He knew where they were. He knew what had happened. For God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were most lovable. Not when we were most savable, most likable. When we were still sinning, still rebelling, still being selfish liars with hate, jealousy, and lust in our eyes and hearts. Helpless and hopeless, God steps in and makes a way. And continues to make a way. And continues to be with us. And continues to redeem. And continues to call us to himself. Continues to welcome us back into his presence. His love is steadfast. It is stable and secure. And it is forever. It will not change. It will not shift. It won't just be gone one day. That day when you need it most. It's not just going to be dried up and gone. It will be there for you. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Why? Because our God is forever, and our God is love. Therefore, it makes sense. His love endures forever, and he is faithful to all generations, is how that song tells us. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Exodus 34, verse 6 says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's how God describes himself to Moses. That's who God is. In Genesis 3.15, after God, after they sin, and God shows up and they go back and forth talking to God, in Genesis 3.15, God addresses the serpent. He addresses Satan and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15, a promise is made by God. The first time that the Savior is promised, the first time the gospel is preached, it's preached by God to Satan, letting him know, <clears throat> letting him know this is how things are going to play out. That promise, the promise of a Messiah, a set-apart one, the one, the offspring, the singular he, this promise was clung to by the Israelites for thousands of years. Every time things got dark, everything, every time things got messed up, when they were in slavery, when they were captives, when they were cut off, when the temple was destroyed, when the city was on fire, over and over again, when all hope seemed lost and the future looked bleak, God would step in and remind them, I need you to hold on. Remind them who he was. Remind them what he had done, who he was, how he had been there for them, and he was with them. He hadn't forgotten them. And he would give them these reminders and these glimpses. I have promised you one, and that promise still holds. And here's a little glimpse. Here's a little taste. Here's what it's going to look like when he shows up. He would remind them of the promise. He would remind them one was coming. And then he came. A baby cries in a manger and changes all of existence. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, walks on the very ground he created. Our God is faithful. A promise made that spans the course of thousands and thousands of years. That promise was fulfilled in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because he comes to live and die for us and take away our sin and make a new relationship between us and God. I asked early, earlier, what do we do when the joy is lacking? What do we do when I got enough I got enough in me for the activity, but the joy and the gladness just isn't there? 
What do we do when the, when the words of verses 1 and 2 and verse 4 and this idea of thanksgiving and praise and gladness, it just doesn't seem to gel with my reality. Joy-filled worship comes in response to knowing God. When those verses, when you read the opening lines of this psalm and they just don't seem to make sense, when it's hard to muster those things up, it's not just shut up and deal. Put on a smile and pretend. No, you can be sad. You can be angry. You can be confused. Feel your feelings. That's okay. This, the, book of, the book of Psalms, man, you read through it, it's human life. It's ups and downs. That's okay. But what the writer of this psalm is telling us is that to see joy and gladness and thanksgiving be the driving and deciding factor of your life, it comes in response to knowing God. So when you are lacking, when you are struggling, when you are worried and doubting and confused and upset, you turn to the spiritual truths found in Scripture. You go digging in His Word like a parched man digging a well. Because this is living water that quenches your thirst. You go digging like, digging like you're starving and on a mission to find the very last of the Thanksgiving leftovers tucked in the back of the fridge because this is the Word of God that nourishes and feeds you in a way that you can never be fulfilled. When, not if, but when it is hard to come in with praises on your tongue, when the struggles and obstacles and calamities of life are overwhelming, go back to the spiritual truth, go back to God revealing himself to you. Go and find the ones, to the, go back to the spiritual truths, to the ones you don't know, you get to know them. There's stuff, there's stuff to know. And for the ones you already do, for the things I'm pretty set, I know God is love, and I have a good understanding of that, and I don't need to really address that again. No, go back, because whatever you think of God's love, there is more and more to know of it. Over and over, there is more to be known. It is when, you ground, it is when we ground ourselves in the spiritual truths found in Scripture, we see life change, we see hope renewed, we see hope restored. Joy-filled worship comes in response to the spiritual truths, in response to knowing God. In this season of gratitude and thanksgiving and gifts and celebration and fun, you may find yourself having a day or a week or just a full-on season of hard and confusing and frustrating. Finding your way to joyful noise and glad worship may be difficult. In those times, show up and go looking for God. Let him remind you of who he is and how he has made you and how he is with you always. And how he has made you to be in him and rest in him and dwell in him. He is the knowable God, the findable God. In fact, we see in scripture multiple times, God is the one who takes the initiative to come find us, come save us, come free us. And then he promises, if you come looking for me, if you knock, I will answer. If you come looking, I will show up, I will be there. So show up and let God fill you up. But look, this doesn't mean it's just going to remove all the bad, all the hard, all the exhausting. Right? It doesn't mean it's nothing but smooth sailing for the Christians, because that's just not reality. We are going to walk through hard times. But what we do know to be true is that when our joy is found in Christ, when we have the confidence in God to worship and celebrate Him, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in, the darkness of life cannot overtake us. Allow yourself to go and learn and lean into knowing God and let that fill you up. Let that give you the stamina to worship him in all of your life. 
And as you do, you will find more and more of a desire to pursue him more and more and know him deeper and deeper. On those hard days, on those easy days, in every day, as Paul writes, may we be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner beings so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that you and me, being rooted and grounded in love, have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Joy-filled worship is in response to knowing God. And the more you know him, the more you're going to want to worship him. And the more you can show up and worship, the more it's going to drive you to know him. He is the knowable God. He is waiting to have a conversation with. I encourage you in this season, as we start running the race as Christmas and everything is busy and life is happening, he wants to spend some time with you. He's got something to tell you. Slow down and let him fill you up so that you can continue to pour out and be the light to the world he has made us to be. Let's pray. different experiences during the week with with one holiday behind us and another one coming with relationships and expectations and all of the different things we have going on it is easy to let a time and season that is supposed to be about gratitude and thankfulness and joy become chores and overwhelming and a burden. Oh God, would you soften our hearts? Would you remind us, as you've been doing for throughout history, remind us of how good you are. Remind us how awesome you are. Remind us of who you are. Because there's joy to be had there. There is life to be had in knowing you and being in your presence. God, we know we're going to experience hard. We live in a sinful, fallen world. We still battle with our flesh and our own sinful desires. We know we are going to experience exhausting, dark times in our lives. God, in those times, would you help us and remind us to keep keep coming back to you, keep showing up. Remind us of how good you are. Remind us of that steadfast love. God, we get so distracted. It's so easy for us to forget and be overwhelmed and lose sight of what matters, of you who matters. God, we want to have hearts of joy and and glad singing and praise. We long for those days. And in the days when we don't have it, in the days when it's just not there, You are there. God, I pray that we would remember that and know that and know that you are enough. You are more than enough. God, help us to rediscover, re-remind ourselves of the gospel, of the, the good news that at our weakest, at our worst, you 
showed up and you made a way. And you continue to make a way and you continue to show up. God, help us to be a people who are known as people who are thankful and glad and full of joy. Because we know where life and relationship and hope and our future is found and it's found in you. God, we thank you and praise you for who you are, for what you've been doing, for what you are doing, for what you're going to do. God, give us a hunger and thirst to know you more because we know there's more of you to be known. We thank you and praise you. Amen.